You're listening to Apolitical Politics, where we discuss the ins and outs of Oregon politics without being political. I'm your host, Dwayne Stark. Today's episode is The Life of a Bill with special guest Obi Rutledge, Deputy Chief Clerk for the Oregon Legislature. Obi, thank you so much for being on today. Well, thank you, uh, Representative Stark. I'm excited, excuse me, I'm excited to be here and um, to talk with you today. Let's get started. <laughs> Excellent. Obi, I don't know that I know anybody who remembers this building without you being in it. If you will, give me a little bit, you know, how long have you been here? What's your background? How did you get into this? And how did you land as the deputy chief clerk for the Oregon legislature? Sure. That's a great question. Uh, I started, yeah, I mean, I've been here as long as pretty much any legislator, the only legislator that's been here longer than me is the president of the Senate, Peter Courtney, and the only House member that's been here as long as I have is Greg Smith. So I've been here a long time. I started in 2001. I started, uh, it was a seasonal job opportunity for that session, and I started out in the position of the reading clerk, uh, which is the person that reads the bills. That's kind of the one person that everybody hears all the time on the floor. And uh, from there, um, worked into that position, ultimately worked into a full-time position in the clerk's office. And in 2017, after the former deputy retired, I was moved into that role. So, uh, and I've worked in the clerk's office the entire time I've uh, been at the Oregon legislature and only on the House side. That's great. I have to tell you, I remember those days of you reading the bills. Your ability to speed read and be coherent was fantastic. Uh, now you guys have a computer that can do it for you. I would much rather listen to you read those bills than that computer. But that's beside yeah. the point. Speaking of bills, if you will, let's let's talk about the life of a bill. A lot of people out there may not know, you know, how does this law come to be? So first of all, like, just what is what is a bill? And where does it come from? Yeah, I think that's such an important question. And I think that for your listeners, it's probably one of the most interesting parts of the life of a bill is just where does it where does it start and where does it come from? And I think the really great part about the Oregon process is pretty much anybody can take an idea, whether it be good or bad, and that's all subjective, of course, they can take an idea to their lawmaker, whether it be their representative, in, in, in the case of you, uh, or their senator, and they can present that idea. And then that member can actually, has, has the ability to go to what we call our legislative council office and request a draft, a legislative concept is what we actually call it here. And that ultimately can continue to be refined um, to the point for uh, it to be introduced at an upcoming session or even during session as an actual bill. And what a bill does is ultimately it uh, adds or re it, it either adds, deletes, or um, revises current law or statutes, we like to say in Oregon. So I think that's that that's the conduit. That's the part that I think might be really interesting for your listeners is that it really can be that easy. They can connect with their lawmaker, interface with them, and then work with them on getting concepts ultimately drafted into a bill that then gets uh, codified into statute, which becomes an effect of a law. 
So you made me remember a former legislator from the 80s told me this story about how when he came into office, he liked to tell constituents, whether they voted for him or not, that he was there to represent their ideas. And he would put forward a bill for anyone, regardless of what it was, whether he agreed with it or not. And there was a bill at that time that somebody came forward with an idea and they wanted they wanted to, they wanted to outlaw disposable diapers. He went in with this idea and he turned it into legal counsel. You know, as you mentioned, legal counsel takes it and turns it into the legalese. He said that he didn't read it before the bill drop. And I'll have you talk about a bill drop in just a second. Instead, he went off to the coast, and this was before everything was digitized like it is now. And he gets a call because somehow in the process of turning it into legalese, the legislative council had put the punishment. They decided there needed to be a punishment for it being illegal. And they put a two-year jail sentence or prison sentence for this. And he was at the coast when he finds out that he had just dropped this bill that was going to, if, if it would pass, and it didn't pass, but if it did, it would have outlawed disposable diapers and you could have gone to jail for two years if you use a disposable diaper. So <laughs> the point there being legislators need to read what they put forward. Can you talk a little bit about that transition from when it's a private document, an LC concept, into what is the phrase bill drop? What is that? How do you turn something from an LC concept into a bill? That's a really good question, and it's an important one. There is a phase of the process we talked about where it's a concept, and that's very confidential or can be confidential. It doesn't have to be. Members can obviously share that, the, the, the requester, the member who's requested the concept. And when they're ready to introduce it into the process and introduce it as a bill, they would come to our office, the clerk's office, they would drop it with us. That's the term we like to use. It really just means they would present their concepts and what we call a bill back. That would have their names signed on it. All of the other sponsors would, who might want to sign on to it. And that would be dropped with us. And then we would assign it a bill number. As soon as that happens, we would, um, it would become public and be introduced into the process, and it cannot be withdrawn at that point. Now, it doesn't mean it can't be changed later on in the process, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but it, but it can't be withdrawn at that point. That's when it goes from being my, my idea or my constituent's idea to now it's being formally presented to the public as officially as a bill, and it will be introduced into the process. Unless you wanted to make a couple of comments, Representative Stark, talk a little bit about the, some of the next steps. Yeah. So, and I always tell people that first stage, the LC comp, that's where you're trying to figure out and make sure the lawyers in the building know what you're trying to say. But once it goes to your office, that bill drop is when it, it develops a life of its own. From that point, the member, the representative or the senator could step away from it completely, and it really could keep going without that person ever doing anything with it. So what is that yeah. life? What, what's the life of a bill? Where does it go from there? Yeah, yeah. So once it gets dropped and gets introduced, and we use the word introduced, that's when it gets first read. And, and we'll get back to this a little later. We'll circle back. But a bill has three readings. The first reading means that it's been introduced into the process formally. And we read the bill number and title. And then that bill gets referred by rule to the speaker's office or the speaker's desk. And then the speaker has seven days, typically, there's some nuances here in the rule, but typically they have seven days to then refer that bill to a House committee or a joint committee. 
And that's all very transparent, very public. Um, those bills ultimately come through my desk. So I keep an eye on, make sure that they, you know, get referred in the uh, proper amount of time. They go down to committee. And as soon as they have been referred to committee, they're in the committee's jurisdiction, then can be scheduled for a public hearing to talk about the bill, invite testimony, different public interests to come in and speak on behalf of the bill or in opposition to the bill. Once they usually go through a little bit of a lengthy public, pro public hearing process, then what happens with the bill, if it has legs and if it's going to move through the process, people, enough people think it's, it's the idea merits either more conversation or maybe it is ready to move, move through the entire process or the next phase of the process, they will have what we call a work session in the committee. And that's where the committee deliberates on the bill and decides if they want to pass the bill out to the floor, and the floor means the chamber, for final consideration by the chamber. They also may want to um, adjust the measure, or excuse me, amend the measure. So in Oregon, the amending process happens solely in the committee process. It doesn't happen later on in the chamber, which is a unique thing that only Oregon and I think one other legislative house does. Most states allow amending on the floor. So all the amending happens in the committee. And then once the committee comes out, once the bill comes out of committee, whether it's been altered with amendments or not, it comes back to our office, my desk specifically, and then it either gets scheduled by rule for a second reading and third reading, third reading meaning the vote, or it gets referred on to another committee. Maybe it goes down to the Appropriations Committee, which Representative Stark has a lot of experience in, because the bill produced what we call a fiscal impact, meaning that there is going to be a cost to this bill. And they want to make sure in ways and means that cost is they have figured out how they're going to pay for this. Highlight a little bit more, if you will, the difference between a public hearing, what happens in a public hearing, and a work session. So contrast sure. those two, two things in the committee. Sure, that's a great question. So the public hearing would be the part where the where there would be an opportunity generally for members of the public to sign up to speak on behalf or in opposition of the bill. Usually the chairs try to accommodate everybody. There are most most measures there's plenty of time for the public to interface and to have an opportunity to speak. There are a few hot topic bills that they have to set some timelines on because there's just so many people that want to talk about the about the bill. So that's the opportunity for the public to really interface directly with the members of the committee to really let them know how they're feeling about these different ideas that are that are moving through the process. Work session is really for members. Members and they then deliberate on the merits of the measure and they offered sometimes competing amendments or ideas that affect the, the measure or the bill. And they will then take a vote generally in a work session if they want to move that bill to the next phase of the process. So those are the those are the very two different types of meetings that the that the committees generally have. Just to recap, we go from an idea, so an LC concept, just the idea. We work that out with the attorneys in the building. Then it gets dropped off at the clerk's office, and that's when it gets a life of its own. Goes to the floor to get read once and just to tell the world it exists, and then gets assigned to a committee. 
then goes to a committee where there is a public hearing for the public to, to talk about. And then if it has merit and the committee wants to move it forward, they have a work session where they debate it and possibly change it slash amend it. And then they vote on it. It has enough votes, goes from there to the floor again, gets read to the world a second time. And that is basically warning people that it's coming up real soon, usually the next day for the third reading. And on the third reading is when there's a vote. Did I, did I process all that properly? That's right. That's exactly right. Third reading is the is when the bill uh, is up for a vote, and if if it passes the house, then it moves over to the other chamber and goes through a very similar process. Although they have their own rules and their own unique processes over in the Senate. Then if it gets through the Senate, it comes back. And we prepare it in what we call the enrolling process, and then it goes over to the to the governor uh, for their approval or their rejection. Uh, and most of the time, the governor signs, I would say, the majority of bills, but they also can veto the bill. And then, if they veto the bill, it would then come back to the House of Origin, and it could uh, the House uh, could override the veto, which requires a super majority of votes, and then it would go over to the other chamber and go through a similar process. And if both chambers override the veto, it would become law without the governor's uh, signature. How often do you see that happen? Well, early on, uh, when the governor and the legislature were not in the same party, I saw dozens and dozens of vetoes. Now I see, now that the governor and the legislature are of the same party, I see maybe a couple vetoes a session. Not very many these days. Right. And have you ever seen a veto get overridden? I have. I have. And that's a very interesting thing to see. Very unusual, but it has happened in my time. And it's even happened when the party in control was the party that controlled the legislature was the same party that was in the governor's office. So just because they're all in the same camp doesn't mean that they don't disagree. In fact, they oftentimes do disagree. Right. I think that is great wisdom. Just because they're in the same camp doesn't mean they all just or that they all agree. All right. As we wrap up, just one last thing. Is there anything else you think that listeners need to know about the life of a bill? Well, I just want to reiterate that, you know, your audience should really think about if they have if they have some good ideas that they that they want to share with their lawmakers, that they shouldn't be shy, that they should share the ideas that so many um, ideas get introduced in the process that, that lawmakers get from their constituents. It's the whole purpose of representative democracy. Unless constituents are communicating with their lawmakers, uh, we can't have, you know, policy that's benefiting them. So they've got to, they have to take some responsibility and work with their lawmakers to get ideas introduced into the process that will benefit um, that will benefit them. So get involved, I, I, I'd want to say. And also in the committee process, make your voice heard. You can. It, it's so much easier today because almost all the committees are virtual. You can be in Hermiston, you can be in Grants Pass, and you can participate in the lawmaking process from your home. You don't have to drive to the Capitol anymore. So I just I think I'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening. For more apolitical politics, check out apoliticalpolitics.org or dwaynestark.org.